everybody, it's me, your hostess, Peaches Christ. And you're listening to another enthralling, out-of-this-world episode of the Midnight Mass podcast. And, well, we really do have uh, an extraordinary episode prepared for you. And it is out of this world to introduce this week's movie, of course, I must bring on my trusty co-host, the one, the only, it's Michael Verratti. Well, you know what they say, Peaches, in space, no one can hear you cream. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you have been hanging on to that one. That is great. I had not heard that before. It just feels right for this week's episode because not only are we going to the far reaches of the galaxy, we're going to the far reaches of sensuality. That's right, we are celebrating 1968's Barbarella, directed by Roger Vadim, starring the incomparable Jane Fonda, Anita Pallenberg, John Philip Law, David Hemming, and a bunch of creepy little dolls. Ugh, I can't wait. It's true. It's, 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 as you know, one that I've celebrated for years and years. We've done it at the Midnight Mass show many times. And then eventually I created a show at Midnight Mass. Actually, after doing it at Midnight Mass a few times, I created a show called Barbarella. And that show is the show that won't die. And Barbarella, which is my drag parody of Barbarella starring Lady Bear as Barbarella and myself as the Great Tired, God, that show's been all over. It played in Los Angeles. It's obviously played in San Francisco a number of times. And it's played uh, in the UK and in Glasgow and uh, Manchester and fucking Belfast. So um, I'm very much a lover of this movie. Me too. And of course, one of the things that we will discuss at great length in this episode is one of the great reasons we love this movie, and that's Jane Fonda. And let's be honest, Jane Fonda is one of those luminous figures who probably could get an idol worship episode all her own because for many, many years, she just kept firing on all cylinders. Nine to five, clute. They shoot horses, don't they? Barefoot in the park. This is a performer who has won over the hearts of audiences the world round. But Barbarella is definitely a a very different kind of outing for her and was a announcement of a different kind of film in many ways. And it's so bizarre and it's so strange in her trajectory that, of course, it speaks to cult film audiences. She is more than a movie star. This is an icon who is also a heroine to us for her real life persona because she's been such a tireless activist who's put in the work. So Jane Fonda, if anyone's really in real life, if any actor is going to go out and save the universe, it's going to be fucking Jane Fonda, you know, because she's she's really been putting in the hours and is an, an incredible humanitarian who's used her, her celebrity and her stardom to do really great things. But Barbarella is definitely maybe one of the fluffiest, weirdest, most exploitive roles she's done. And, and I think it deserves to be celebrated because she is just magical in the movie. Charming, 
wonderful. And we get into the nuance with our guests of why actually this is empowered sexuality. I do appreciate that you bring up the fact that this movie is one of the strangest, fluffiest, most exploitive movies that she's ever been in, because I think that's due in large part to someone that we really didn't get a chance to talk about with our guests. And that's producer Dino De Laurentiis. And I think that it's important we bring up Dino De Laurentiis because he was a power producer of this era who quite frequently was responsible for style over substance, especially when he did big genre films. If you look at something like Flash Gordon, which he also produced, Dune, the David Lynch version, which he also produced, Maximum Overdrive, the Stephen King directorial effort, these movies are all big and loud and flashy. And there's also a part of you that's like, what's this about? And does it matter? Yeah, they're drag movies, as, yeah. as we we also discuss. Um, we talk about Barbarella at one point with one of our guests. I, I say that it's it's a drag movie. If, if a movie were a drag queen, it would either be Barbarella or Showgirls, or maybe maybe we have a few drag queens. But you're right in bringing up his other films, especially something like Flash Gordon, right? Like, if Flash Gordon and Barbarella make such a great double feature because Flash Gordon is another drag movie with a lot of camp and great costumes and, you know, another one that we've done at Midnight Mass a bunch, you know. And it's a movie that shares this intertwined DNA with Barbarella because both of them are more about these extravagant set pieces and these strange sequences that further push you into a non-reality than any really structured plot. Flash Gordon is a long movie. And you make it a good chunk of the runtime in before you're like, really, what's going on? What What's, you know, the, the evil plan here? What's this world? Where are we going? But it's all about selling the fantasy. And as we discuss with our guests, Barbarella really does that, too, from that opening of her floating through the spaceship and undressing to then these sort of... Uh, vignettes where she's on this planet that looks like this and she's in this sequence with the killer dolls it just moves her from sort of of reveal to reveal to reveal it is drag because she's pulling the wig off she's pulling the dress off to reveal something else underneath and that's truly not just film it's opulence and it's also just sort of a a special kind of kitsch which you know we we uh don't really talk about that often in our uh, discussions of cult movies, but in some cult movies, there is an element of kitsch when it comes to the props and the costuming and the set design, the production design, the music. And uh, kitsch is like camp, a little bit hard to describe, but this is a very kitschy movie. And it's got those sort of delicious nuggets. It's almost like a time capsule of, of an idea of the future. And it's funky and it's fun and it's it's just really great. And I think our two guests today are really hilariously well-suited for this because we've mentioned a couple reasons where we have them on, one of which is obviously my stage show, Bear Barella, and the other is, of course, Showgirls. And one thing I want to point out as we head into our first guest is that Barbarella is based on a French comic book. And I do love that this movie in our Midnight Mass trajectory actually follows the Creep Show episode because last week with Creep Show, we talked about the mastery of George Romero and Stephen King bringing comic book panels to life, those transitions and creating that pop art world. Well, here's another example of someone using over the top kitsch to create that comic book page on the screen. And what is really interesting is that comic books often thought of erroneously as a boys medium 
usually do shy away from big bombastic female heroes, but here's one all the way back in the 60s. And the fact that Barbarella is this larger than life, kick-ass woman is something that definitely spoke to our first guest. And it was what really ingrained a love of Barbarella to her. And that's April Kidwell, who's here to talk to us all about the feminist, awesome power of Barbarella right now. Ladies, gentlemen, and all of our non-binary people, we have a fantastic special guest here with us today. She is a dear, dear friend of mine who many people know around the world as the premier, the preeminent Nomi Malone impersonator. She not only becomes Nomi, she is Nomi, which is why her one-woman show, I Know Me, was such a huge hit. She also starred in uh, Showgirls the Musical, which I had the pleasure of co-starring in with her when uh, I produced it in San Francisco. She's been in tons and tons of theater comedy shows and is just one of the most talented individuals I've ever had the pleasure of working with. I adore her. She told me that Barbarella was a movie she wanted to come on our show and discuss. And I said, well, then you get your ass on Midnight Mass. Without further ado, it's the fabulous April Kidwell. Hi. Hi, April. How are you? I have COVID, but I'm <gasps> good. Yeah, I'm good. Put your space suit on, Peaches. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> your Mercury helmet. Yes, actually, that'd be fabulous. April, Peaches said that you wanted to talk to us about this movie, so why don't we just take it back to the beginning? When did you first see Barbarella? When did you attach yourself to this glorious, glamorous adventure through space. Well, I grew up seeing that poster image of Barbarella, that highly sexualized, powerful space woman. But growing up Mormon, I was never allowed to watch movies like that, even though I've watched True Lies more times than any person probably has on the face of the planet. And it wasn't until I was like 23 or 24, I was working on a cruise ship with Norwegian Cruise Lines. And a group of friends of mine, we decided to do like uh, B-movie nights. We would just gather on a weekly basis. We'd go around each person picking out um, a camp movie, cult classic. And I was just so curious about Barbarella. I'd never seen it. So I got my hands on it finally and showed it and watched it for the first time and fell in love. What do you think it is about this movie, which we all know is very unique, that speaks so much to you? What is it that you love about it? I love the the costuming. The costuming is out of this world fantastic. I love the style of it. I grew up being obsessed with the 60s. Like anything 60s, I was just like, I couldn't get my hands on enough of. Anytime I had to do a book report, I always chose to do about the 60s. I was obsessed. And also I love sci-fi is my favorite genre. And so it's just like the perfect two like blendings of those worlds, <laughs> the blending of those two worlds. And also it's just so fucking gay. It's so campy. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so not tongue in cheek. It takes itself so seriously. And I love that about it. It's just, the script is terrible and I love <laughs> bad scripts. It's yeah. It's just um, fabulous. 
Well, something I wanted to dig into at some point in this episode, and you really gave me the opportunity at the, at the top because you said the thing that drew you to this was the highly sexualized poster. Yeah. And I think that when we discuss the history of Barbarella, we can't ignore the fact that she as a character is very divisive, much like Nomi Malone, right? Nomi Malone falls in that space where there are people who view her as a very feminist character and a very anti-feminist character. And then Barbarella is kind of the same. Even Jane Fonda has sort of struggled with where Barbarella sits in her heart. And so I wanted to get your take on, on this sort of divisiveness in the character. And is it because to be feminist, culturally, we don't want women to be sexy? What is that about? You know, what's so funny about that is like, if you watch the film, like you don't actually see any sex scenes. That's what's just so dumb is like how it was pit as like this overly sexualized film. It's all innuendo. That's mm-hmm. it. There's no, there are no sex scenes whatsoever. You see someone like, oh, I forgot his name, the guy who pulls his fur off and oh, they're going to have sex. And then the scene is done. You, you wake up and she's just fully covered in singing, you know? That's the sex scene I wanted to see. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, we like a bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> April, you're sort of a, a bear lover. I am. I also love gay sex is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that 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 is true. I, I have to say... Um, that your description of what you love about Barbarella, as you were describing it, the fantastic costuming, the terrible script, the fabulousness of it all, the queerness, the camp of it all. I was like, is she talking about Barbarella or is she talking about Showgirls? Oh, damn. And just what a revelation it was to me, because I hadn't actually, believe it or not, made this connection until you were talking where I was like, oh my God. And then Michael, you know, picked up on it, obviously, because you just brought up Barbarella versus, you know, Nomi Malone. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is a total revelation. Like, they really do have a lot in common when you really think about it. At, At their core, there are movies that I describe as being drag. They are drag. They are drag queens in movie form. And perhaps two of the biggest ideas that we could even look at in terms of that are showgirls and mm-hmm. Barbarella. These are these movies are drag queens. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it also, what we really can look at is how the public responded to both of these films. They don't like sexually empowered women. Elizabeth right. Berkeley yeah. got beaten up for Showgirls. Yeah. Jane Fonda took a lot of flack for Barbarella. Yeah. Her husband told her she was already had two sex scandals under her belt, Jane Fonda. And her husband was like, she wasn't sure if she wanted to do this movie. A, she was like fourth in line to play this part. He said, don't worry, this is going to make people take you seriously as an actor, this role, which is just like exploitation. He exploited his wife, just like um, Paul Verhoeven exploited Elizabeth Berkeley and all yeah. the flack. But the blessing is, is like this film, Barbarella, is what pushed Jane Fonda to become Jane Fonda, what she is today, like the badass fist raising feminist. And one of the most talented, brilliant actors who could do both comedy and drama and went on to win every award under the sun and and, and got her moment to prove herself, which sadly, Elizabeth Berkeley never really got that uh, experience. You know, Jane Fonda is really such an interesting trailblazer because 
both her life as a performer and actor in Hollywood is such a tremendous success. And then if you look at the life of an activist, you know, Mm -hmm. just the activism alone, the total and sheer commitment to her belief system and putting action out there. What a freaking superhero she is. And, you know, one of the greatest living, I think, people who've been able to operate in Hollywood, (laughs) you know? Yeah, she's genius. Now, April, you mentioned the fashion and glamour of this movie. Do you have a particular favorite sequence because this movie is is as we discussed with our other guest it's a bunch of just scenes until the plot sort of happens but each of those scenes are sort of their own draggy experiences so do you have like a favorite sequence or moment in the film i love that green outfit um with the plastic blocks and the green jeweled outfit i love that she's in the the dream room what is that called the dream chamber last night was the first time i watched this film without being stoned (laughs) totally different experience that whole dream sequence where she's in front of that screen and it's all of those visuals and she's just running around when I was like 20 something and I saw it for the first time I was like I want to be that I want to have this big gorgeous blonde hair cute little outfit and like running around in front of this screen like where am I supposed to go I just (laughs) love it yeah I think that the drag of it all, the costumes, the fashion show of it is what was actually so fun about getting to do the stage show because as drag queens doing Barbarella, of course, you know, watching the costume designers design Jane Fonda versions of costumes for Lady Bear, that's drag, right? Like, you know, I love, of course, the exposed breasts space suit, I guess you would call it. I don't know. (laughs) So you saw Barbarella later in life, which is interesting because you grew up Mormon and then you were connected, you know, because you were sort of, I guess, prevented from seeing some of these films, you saw them as uh, an adult, whereas a lot of the people that we interview are most touched by their cult favorites when they're kids, right? Um, So I think it's really interesting that you had this experience as an adult where you identified with Barbarella. And I'm wondering, you know, what about the movie do you think specifically affected you? What is there any connection to growing up Mormon, and identifying or falling in love with a movie like Barbarella. Well, A, I think also I'm just realizing now that poster was like part of my queerness as a kid being fascinated Ah. with this poster. Like, side note, I would brush home every Sunday after church and like open up the cross your heart bra section and kiss the boobs. So. (laughs) (laughs) My God, so after Sunday, after attending Mormon church, You run home and diddle yourself to some titties. In front of my entire family. What? (laughs) My God. It'd be like this, this, (laughs) this whole thing, this ritual, right? Come home. I'd strip off. I'd be in my like (laughs) slip, sit on the ottoman or the big chair and open up the the bra section and like kiss my fingers and put my fingers on the bra. (laughs) And I thought. I thought nobody knew what was going on. And like my whole family was there. And how many times my mom would yell at me, April, stop kissing the bras. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so you you obviously had a thing for the Barbarella poster, which let's face it, I have the one sheet hanging in my hallway, an <sighs> original one sheet, believe it or not. And I have to say, it is if you if you haven't seen that movie poster in a while, go check it out. It never it never disappoints. You know, it's it's her looking strong and 
fierce and a glamazon from outer space, sexy. Do you feel like you looked at that poster and you got a little tingle? I definitely did. And I totally wasn't aware of it. You know, I was so like sex in the Mormon church. I mean, it's so important because that's how they have all those goddamn kids. But like, it's just, um, we're so like restricted. We were so restricted. Like, I don't know if you know, Mormons have to wear Jesus panties. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, My parents like wore the garments. And when they left, when I was 12, they left the church, like their sex life went off. I was actually the last one to leave the church in my family, not until well into my teens, but it was just like all of this sexual repression. And there was just like, obviously, you know, me on stage, there's this like fierce sexual energy dying to get out and to be expressed. And when I discovered, when I actually watched Barbara, it was like this thing that I would look up to. And yes, there were sexual feelings, but also I just wanted to be her. I didn't know who she was, but I wanted so bad to know who she was. And at that time that I discovered her entering my mid twenties, it was just like the freedom of total sexuality being the embodiment of that sex kitten it was um fabulous luxurious and you know I definitely entered my Barbarella stage when I first moved to New York and every chance I got I would try to dress up like her the big hair the fabulous little tiny outfits with the boots and stuff it was just it was just a form of expression that I had been dying for like my whole life it's interesting the through line from the bra catalog to the poster because I think in in the bra catalog even though that you responded to that in the way that you did that's still the the utilitarian we're selling an article of clothing but it's also the only outlet to see women in this way But then you see this poster, which, of course, Peach has just discussed, and and the poster is iconic. But when you look at that artwork, you know that she's out there and free. There's this freedom because she's literally in that apparel in space, like all of the universe. And here she is. And I'm wondering, because you see this poster and, and you create this idea of who she is and what she represents, when you finally see the movie, did it match your expectations? It just blew my mind. I mean, yes, it was, it's a terrible script. It's so dumb. It's so fucking dumb. <laughs> so campy. But it was just like, I, I'd seen cult films before, but nothing like this. I think it definitely exceeded my expectations because it had such an imprint on me in my 20s and me developing into a woman and coming into my own sexual power. Something that I find interesting about this character, Barbarella, is that she has such innocence. She's such a sexual being, but there is just a matter of factness and an innocence. It's, it's not like she's dripping with it. She just is. And there is just this, this freedom, which, I mean, yes, Jane Fonda was exploited, but the character isn't somebody who's exploited she chooses to have sex with people you know like she she chooses this isn't anything that anybody's pushing her into I mean she gets invited into it it's just natural I think that that actually is a really good point because 
there's this part of me that understands it when people are like, Barbarella's terrible, you know? Um, whereas when someone says Showgirls is terrible, I'm like, you're fucking crazy. You know, like I do not, I do not understand it at all. Sorry, it is just fantastic. But when I think about like, well, what is it about Barbarella that I in particular just really love? What you just described is really at the core of it. And, and while I love all the fantasy and the drag of it and the killer dolls and the great tyrant and all of the the fabulous drag stuff, I think at its core, where Nomi is kind of this larger than life monster, you know, who's unapologetically aggressive. Barbarella is shameless in the sweetest, most wonderful way. And she operates in a world where she doesn't understand guilt or shame. And that as a kid who grows up religious, whether you're Catholic like me or Mormon like April, I think that at its core is something that we could not imagine because we grew up in these environments where we were taught sex is to be something, you know, that you should fear, that you should be ashamed of, that is dirty. You can't have freedom of sexuality the way that Barbarella does. She's not innocent necessarily, but she is in a way because she doesn't have any of that. It's like she wasn't raised in a religious environment. She has no concept of these things being dirty you know yeah. and also like at the beginning when she's naked and talking to the president and they raise their hands and they say love and that's their greeting my first thought was like that's so fucking dumb and it's like, <laughs> why is that dumb love is like the purest form of energy you know right. and i mean i've recently heard where was it oh Oh, it was an snl sketch so they were talking about you know when the aliens that woman when Kate McKinnon, she's like, um, oh, I was had my hooter and my cooter out. And the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but they were saying, you know, they just the the purest expression in all of space. I can't believe I'm using an SNL reference for this. <laughs> but the purest expression of energy is and of communication is love. Why is that stupid? I think that was just like, I know it's definitely very 60s, very right. like 60s mentality. I think it's so beautiful, you know, taking the judgment out of it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we all should be reaching for greeting each other with love. No, it's interesting because it is very 60s. And when you think about the moment when this movie was made, we're at peak counterculture in 1968. uh, And in the idea of free love and using love to change the consciousness. I mean, this kind of lines up peaches in in, with our skidoo conversation a few episodes back too. sure. The idea that to expand our minds with love and substances to make a better world. Barbarella feels like, look, this is what the future could be that they're trying to say. And um, I don't know if that makes it more depressing now, because of course that's not what the future became. Even though Barbarella is a long lasting comic book in France, I bet that if they revisited that movie now and made a new version of it, I feel like we would lose that innocence. Don't you think? Because I, I feel like we lost sight of what what the message of this movie was. Definitely. Do you have thoughts on that, Joshua? I think that Michael's exactly right, that the sort of era of the 60s, and we talked a lot about this when we had uh, the conversation about Skidoo, you definitely had the sort of counterculture moving to a place of embracing a shame-free, love-driven Um, sex positive society. You can track it with queer rights as well, you know, like the launch of the Stonewall riots and 
and the sort of affirmation that came from being proud of being queer. And um, we basically had this conversation where, um, of course, the 80s kind of just destroyed everything, you know, Reaganomics and AIDS and the severe turn that the hippies did, that the boomers did in the 80s is really nuts. I'm Generation X. And so it's been interesting to watch my generation and people my age kind of grow up with this sort of more cynicism of both wanting some things to be different, but maybe having this reality check about the world, you know, and that the world is fucked. So I I think a movie like Barbarella, I do think it was earnest. There was a idealism that was real at the time that it came out. Same thing with Skidoo, you know? Yeah. I mean, God, Skidoo, even more so maybe, you know, because of the the sort of the shift in Hollywood, the, the A-listers, they got to do the movie. And in some ways, that's another reason we love these movies because they capture a sort of the essence of a belief system that I think at our core, we all wish could be true. Right. Mm-hmm. We, and do you think that earnestness is part of what attached you to this movie? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd have that it ever done. I mean, maybe subconsciously, uh, consciously. I just thought it was just a fabulous, dumb movie. Well, <laughs> can I just interject here? <laughs> because uh, I am um, close enough friends with April where I can tell you that she's like definitely part hippie. She's definitely like someone <laughs> who is wicked and a, a drag queen and can hang and swim with the sharks and really be an outrageous, wonderful, shocking performer, hilarious performer, while also being a super earnest spiritual guru very much a hippie. I mean, like, like, uh, you know, I hope you, you're not offended by that. April, no, because that was my goal my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've achieved it in abundance. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be Jenny from Forrest Gump so bad. And wow. it wasn't until I was an adult and I watched that and I'm like, she is not a role model for young children. <laughs> no, no. If anything, I think you're more Barbarella. Thank you. Mashed up with Nomi Malone, of course. You know, of course, of course. Now, of, of course, when discussing Barbarella, and, and we've been doing so this whole time, we can't help but point out how dynamic a character she is. And in, in many ways, it's one of these cult films where she outshines pretty much everyone else in the movie. That being said, there are some really interesting characters that populate this world. We mentioned the guy with the hairy situation. Uh, of course, we've got Pygar and the Great Tyrant. Do you have a favorite character in this movie that's not Barbarella? Pygar is hilarious. Just watching Pygar's performance just cracks me up. Um, the the tyrant. Yeah. I love her so much. She's Crystal Connors. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, Anita Pallenberg, the actor who played uh, the yeah. evil tyrant. Yeah. She Gorgeous. was... Um, she shacked up with all the Rolling Stones. She was like the... Wow. They weren't married, but she gave birth to three of Keith Richards' kids. Really? Yeah. She was like the other member of the group. She'd been with them forever. Her performance is very Gina Gershon in many it ways. Is. Like she, You feel like she knows what movie she's in. She's playing 
playing it up so wicked and so camp, but also earnestly like, and she's so gorgeous, which is why, you know, I had to play her in the, the stage show, you know. Duh. <laughs> yeah, hello. <laughs> <laughs> what about y'all? You don't love Dildano? I was going to bring up Dildano because- I, I do too. It was the first time I had seen the movie in many years last night. And I just laughed out loud hearing his name for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so good. I personally, of course, I'm a big fan of The Great Tyrant as well, but I, I do like Pygar and it's because I love John Philip Law. This is such like a good year of cult for him because he had just finished Danger Diabolic, which is like a totally different performance. He's this like super spy who uh, who is just kind of like super cool. And then in this movie, he's kind of like a, a blonde dum-dum. Yeah. The fact that he made that like transition, like seamlessly, I mean, he, he got this job because of Diabolic. He just worked with Dino De Laurentiis and he's like, well, you're here, move into this, bleach your hair and let's go. And I think he made Skidoo this year too. So he kind of had the power trilogy of cult for 1968. I actually do think those wings were cool. There's that famous image of him like cradling Barbarella where they fly through the sky. That's sort of like, it's sci-fi painting. I love that. He's so ridiculous. He is. Uh, yes. which, which I think is, is part of the fun of it. It's like so ridiculous. And Michael and April, you guys have something in common because whenever Michael comes over to my apartment, I always see him like kiss his fingers and, oh my God. and, and put put his fingers on um, Pygar's crotch on my one sheet. You know? <laughs> I, I've never really understood it, but I was like, oh, okay. I, yeah, so... So you guys have that finger thing in common. Um, Thank you for allowing me my prayer. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know a character I don't really like, but I know you're not supposed to, is the Duran Duran character just because of, like, how nasty he is uh, to her and how he's very shaming, right? Like, you know, I love that she just breaks the orgasmatron because she's so fucking sexual and horny. And, you know, his reaction it's the first kind of major reaction in the movie where you feel like she's being slut shamed, you know? Yeah. 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 But he is really sexy when he's doing it, when he's like working that orgasmatron. It was like, I want a man to work on me like that, please. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's fabulous. It is funny that he's the character that the band Duran Duran took their name from because he's sort of the only shaming character in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't consider Duran Duran to be all that shaming of a, of a band. Uh, yeah. They did make that song, Electric Barbarella, though. So they mm-hmm. do things yeah. full circle. Mm-hmm. Duran Duran and their obvious affinity for Barbarella is so great because to me, it's like I love when things in pop culture that I love like a band and a movie have some sort of connection like that. And, you know, I love Duran Duran. I mean, my God. Mm -hmm. I just had this realization. I had this ride that I went on at Burning Man in 2012 called the Orgasmatron. Ah, what was Um, that like? It was like you go in, you wait four hours in line. So you put your name on a list and you come back and you go into this room and there is a motorcycle seat and a Hitachi magic wand through the seat and your motorcycle handles and when you orgasm, you're supposed to honk a horn and then you get a cookie. <laughs> I love that. It's so it's so like it starts off like it's like you're at Disneyland because you're waiting in line for four hours. And yeah. then and then you get in there and you fucking come. Yeah. yeah. All right. But here's the serious question. <laughs> Was the cookie good? It was really good. I got two cookies because I came in one minute. <laughs> oh, oh. I was so excited. It was yeah. really fun. And then he's like, you get to go again and you can take as long as you want. And oh. so I got, I got two cookies. Work. Yeah, well, Oreos. I mean, 
I know we're wrapping up now, but now, now you've brought up another thing that's really like on my mind. I've never been to Burning Man, but as far as a, a, a planet Earth adventure mm. that could be like an immersive Barbarella experience, it's like, oh, that's Burning Man in a way, right? Just all the different um, visuals and ideas and costumes and performances and and orgasmatron ride. So yeah. you're, you're a total burner. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to bring up, though, before we go, like the costuming. I had this thought re-watching it and then I looked it up and Jean-Paul Gaultier was inspired for Fifth Element from Barbarella. Like the influence that this film has had has like spanned decades and has brought us one of the most fabulous films, one of the most aesthetically gorgeous films that we've been able to be gifted with. That totally tracks. Uh, so a question I always like to ask, and as we're wrapping up, I will, and you discovered this movie a little bit later and mm. you did say you idolized the poster. You finally saw the movie on a cruise. And then when you moved to New York, you tried to embody Barbarella. Mm -hmm. So in this way, you've been on this trajectory with the film. Uh, cult films are movies that stick with us our whole lives. So I'm wondering, has your relationship with Barbarella changed over the years or, or if at all? Definitely. I think of my trajectory has gone more on the uh, Jane Fonda track. It's, it's not just Barbarella. It's Jane Fonda as a role model to me. And I've gone through, you know, periods of rejecting the overt sexual expression or just, you know, and now I'm just kind of like moving away from it after having been naked on stage, God knows how many times I'm just <laughs> a more lot. a lot. I'm <laughs> way more interested in like wearing clothes these days. <laughs> Boring. Boring. Also, I don't have that know me body like I used to. Um, thank you, COVID or pandemic. Um, but I definitely like, I definitely see it as more of, it's not just Barbarella, it's Jane Fonda as a role model for me. Like she's such an environmentalist and I, my life now has transitioned into working in the field of environmental action. Um, and I feel re really grateful for that. For the listeners that aren't familiar with April, like we haven't even gotten into all of the work that she's done, the, the activist that you are. And, and so I can say, and uh, verify that April doesn't just talk the talk. She walks the walk. She really is someone who makes the planet Earth a better place to live in. And you you have dedicated yourself to, um, I think, really doing um, the Lord's work. You know, the Mormons should be proud. You, you've uh, you've made people laugh for years and years. You've um, lifted the veil on shame and, and gotten rid of it unapologetically on stage. And you've done a ton of work for the environment, building houses for people who need them sustainably, uh, the, you know, recycling. I mean, God, you've, you've worked in the world of recycling for years and um, it just goes on and on. So yeah, I just needed to say that. And can I just say for the record that April... Yes. I've never said this before to anyone we've had on the podcast, but I want to thank you for making me um, a, a, a more evolved or stronger performer. Because when we did Showgirls, the musical, I was directing it and producing it, but you had already done it. It was created by people in New York. And you came as the star from New York to San Francisco and I was so nervous around the sexuality parts of it. And you were the one who was like, no, you need to touch my nipples. You need to play with my nipples on stage. I want your, I want your hand in my crotch. You are Crystal Connors. I'm Nomi Malone. And we're going to give this to the audience. And I will say this. 
not only did I step out of my comfort zone because, you know, I knew you were giving me consent, but I still was just like, this is, this is wild, you know, but it's also acting. It's also performing. And boy, did San Francisco freak out when they watched Peaches Christ play with April's, you know, nipples on stage. Like, you know, it was just <laughs> what an amazing experience. And you pushed me because as you know, I was just going to kind of drag pantomime at all, but you pushed me and also, you helped me with my song and singing and giving me confidence. And I just I love you. And thank you so much for all that I experience. I'm yeah. so grateful. I just I think part of my path, part of my purpose on this earth is to make people feel like there's a safe space to express themselves sexually. And, you know, sexuality is just so demonized sometimes in, in the arts and culture. But it can yeah. be such a, a tool for comedy, yeah. you know, like. I think sexuality is the funniest comedy, especially when we're playing with our bits on stage. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love this uh, as, as a means of wrapping up because literally what you're both talking about is you, April, working to create a shame-free environment. And what's yeah. more Barbarella than that? I love you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you, April. We love you. And this has been such a wonderful chat. Thank you for so much for having me. I love you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was the fantastic April Kidwell. What a lovely guest. And, and honestly, what a great guest to have on for Barbarella. As I'm sure people who are fans of the Peaches Christ multiverse know, April is best known, especially in my world, for her portrayal of Nomi Malone, of course. So people probably are wondering, why isn't April on the Showgirls episode? Well, the Showgirls episode hasn't happened yet. It will someday. But... This was a direct result of me saying to April, hey, besides Showgirls, what cult movie would you ever want to come on and talk about? And immediately, without hesitation, she said Barbarella. And it makes sense. What I love is how her connection to this movie began even before the movie. Her story about seeing the poster in, in viewing Jane Fonda as Barbarella in that artwork is just this powerful figure who's towering over the universe and how that spoke to her and drew her in only to then see the movie and fall in love with it in a whole different way. I think that just speaks to that yearning that cult film fans, that film fans have in general to find something that both can allow us to escape, but also speaks directly to us and how meaningful it is when we find it. Absolutely. You know, I forgot that April was raised Mormon and, you know, there was just so much insight into April's connection with this film and what it meant to her and how it spoke to her. And also knowing April's connection to the drag world and how April fits in so well and performs with drag queens. And let's face it, I don't think April really identifies as a drag queen. And not to say that she couldn't, because as we know, many cis women perform drag. But April is really just her own performer. She's April Kidwell. But when she's on stage with drag queens, let's just say that April more than holds her own. And I've seen a few queens Queens you might be surprised by actually side-eyeing Ms. Kidwell because she can steal a fucking scene. You know, April is just a huge larger-than-life performer. And so, wow, it makes total sense that she would have been inspired by Barbarella. Speaking of side-eye and owning the stage, I think that's something that she and our next guest certainly
family have in common? I said scene stealer, not sandwich stealer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God, she's going to kill me. And, the, and, and truth be told, drag queens and body shaming, it, it's, it's terrible. It's a tradition. And Lady Bear is so fit and so thin that it's making me mad. So I'm her, I'm unnecessarily projecting. I'm projecting, Michael. I'm making sandwich jokes really about myself. Which is a nice way to couch it so we can deflect the letters of apology. <laughs> invariably yeah, must follow. Yeah. No, you're right. Lady Bear is a phenomenon. Uh, her, her fitness journey, which she also discusses in the interview, is truly inspiring. I have loved Lady Bear since the moment I saw her at the Something Evil party in advance of the premiere of All About Evil. Loved. Yeah, because she performed as Tura Satana. Come oh, on. that's true. That was amazing. She used to do such a great Tura Satana. Yep, you're right. You're right. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. And that was the night that I saw Lady Bear and I was like, this one is it. I love her, love her, love her. Usually when we set up these intros, I build up to her name, but we've said it so much. It's Lady Bear. It's a wonder, wonder woman. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Midnight Mass podcast. I am very excited because we're about to introduce uh, an extremely special guest. She's a dear, dear friend of mine who's been in countless shows. I mean, really, truly, I could not actually sit and count how many shows she's been in because it's been that many. She's a talent, a superstar in her own right. She's known around the world as the original, the one, the only. It's Lady Bear. Hi, everyone. Hi, PC. Hello, Waffles. How are you today? Welcome to the show, Lady Bear. I'm so excited to be here. Let's leap in in the way that we tend to like to start all of our chats. Uh, when did you first see Barbarella? I think it was one of those things I saw like bits and pieces of it on TV when I was really young. Like after the Saturday morning cartoons uh, would end, and this is how old I am, like, uh, on a real TV, like the programming would end on the local affiliate. And then like they would show weird movies afterwards, like sci-fi, like creature double feature. And it was probably one of those. You know what I love about going from cartoons right into Barbarella is some kids are probably watching Super Friends and then tits. Like, right? Like, I think there was a buffer zone of like infomercials or something, but it was like, it was all like Saturday morning TV, like Transformers, G.I. Joe, and then Creature Double Feature. Then later on, it would be like some weird movie. I think it was one of those, but it might have been later. Lest we forget, I grew up watching Elvira on Saturday afternoons, you know, after cartoons. So, yes, cartoons follow. Followed by tits. Yeah, exactly. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, it made, made me fabulous. But it may have been when we were sitting down to do Bear Barella when I actually sat down and watched it like in earnest for the first time and really studied it. That's actually a really an interesting thing because I think with a lot of people, you go to them and ask them to be in these parody shows and know that they have, what's the word? Talent. <laughs> Beauty, grace. Uh, I was going to say stage person, like stage presence, star quality. And, and for somehow, I thought none of that was necessary when I went to you. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want to play against that, would you? 
<laughs> Touche. I mean, I've always said, Poof. and now I'm very scared because you've lost all this weight. You've, you're, you're athletic. Like, what the fuck? I can't, I can't star in a show with you anymore. I know. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, no, I, what I was going to say is that the performers, I guess I'm, I'm actually stuttering because I'm wondering if maybe this is even true or not, that, that I would like to think that I would hope they have a, a sense of fandom for the film that, that I'm, I'm casting them in. And I think with you, you were in so many shows of mine and clearly you've been a real muse for me and I love you and love your talent. And I love, I love writing for you. I love us teasing each other. You know, that's a big part of our shtick. And um, I think with Barbarella, what was so interesting um, for me was to put Lady Bear in the role of Jane Fonda um, because in many ways, I do see a similarity, believe it or not. In a way, I, I think your per- drag persona could come off as bitchy or aloof, you know. Um, Excuse but- me? <laughs> What? That's that's, what a bitch. I think it's misconstrued in some ways. Although I think you know you're a drag queen. That makes sense. And you're a big drag queen. But I always saw Lady Bear, the essence of Lady Bear is being very sweet and almost kind of like innocent. And you never really got to play that in any of our shows. Here you are, you're you're gonna take on this role. You sit and you watch Barbarella, and now you have to really learn it, you know, because you're going to act in it. And what was your takeaway? What did you think when you watched it and you knew you were going to play this part? Because I bet you agreed to do it before you even rewatched the movie. Oh, yeah, I sure I agreed to do it. Because putting this in context, do you know this is the actually the first show I ever did with you? Oh, that's right. And this only happened like maybe four or five months after I started doing drag. That's so, right. like, Lady Bear was like, was still just a drunk mess for that point. And that was it. So, that's interesting, but when I did t- sit down and try to study the character, was like, there's just nothing there to her performance. Like, it's like a blank slate. Uh, she plays it so innocent, and I really can't tell what she's thinking. And a lot of times when you are trying to, like, parody a character or ape a character on uh, in one of these shows, you want to exaggerate the mannerisms that the character has so the audience knows it and hits on it. There's nothing there. There's no accent. She doesn't have any particular way of speaking. It's almost like there's nothing there. And I'm like, was she just not present in her performance? Or is this a character choice? In the context, like Barbarella is this reason the movie exploded because it was like, it was the sexual revolution. It was the end of the 60s. And here she was like this ultimate character of this woman owning her sexuality on stage and her nudity on film. And uh, also, you know, she was the daughter of a famous actor. It was a scandal. I always wondered, like, is she playing it this way as a commentary on feminism, on a commentary of sexual liberation? Or did she feel like she had to play it that way? Because if she had had any kind of a brain, the character would have been threat- more threatening to men. And that's what I always wonder. There's so much that you just said that I want to unpack. And I'm glad that we're, we're jumping right into the Barbarella stage show, because I think that especially talking about this movie with you, they're so intertwined. And you already started speaking to this in in your study of of her performance. And so I have a two-part question. So part one, when watching her, what can drag queens learn from Jane Fonda, in your opinion? Oh, um, look really pretty. Um, (laughs) I mean, she was gorgeous. She was stunning. You know, be a natural beauty, you know, it's obviously I embody that when I when I play the part in in half a pound of makeup and six pounds of hair. <laughs> no matter what her what whether it was a character choice or whatever she was going for, she was really good at being subtle. 
uh, she did communicate her feelings without having to be super big and expressive. And I think most drag queens are always going for like that, oh, play to the back row aesthetic. But like, if you're on camera, if you're on film, like you don't have to be so crazy and so big. So like you could, I think you can learn a lot from like just watching how subtly she does play it in a lot of scenes, especially like the love scenes. Uh, and when the scenes where she's really faced, like at, at the end of the movie where she's, really getting into it with the great tyrant and like she should be really angry at that point because the big tyrant is like screwing her over and they had this big rivalry but she's still really a blank slate even when she should be having strong emotions so you can undersell it and still send a message right and so the second part of my question i asked what drag queens can learn from jane fonda but you look at her in this movie and Barbarella is, to all extents and purposes, a drag character, especially in comparison to They Shoot Horses, Don't They, or Clute, or some of these other movies, Barefoot in the Park, that she was making at the time. So what, based on what you just said, can Jane Fonda learn from drag queens? Oh, Jane Fonda is just like an iconic feminist archetype of like beauty and, and glamour. And one thing that, that Barbarella has that, that I think is the reason it's become a drag celebrated film maybe more than more than any other reason might literally be the drag her costumes in this movie and switching from look to look to look to look oh. completely unmotivated by anything practical and her costumes are yeah. not practical it's literally like a drag fashion show and then yeah. the sets are drag and the other characters are drag right so it's it's camp on top of camp it's layers which is drag and and she's wearing drag through the whole thing and so I would say that what what she maybe could learn from drag queens is maybe what Lady Bear's saying is we're almost looking for her to be a little bit bigger, a little more expressive, a little um, more outrageous. But perhaps because she's not, that's actually what makes this interesting. It's almost like she's in a different film than the sets, the costumes, the other characters. You know, she's very strangely playing it kind of sweet and real in a way or at least restrained that's why i was wondering why that if that's something about like not intimidating men because everything about the movie is so out uh, so extraordinary like so over the top so bizarre like did they feel like in order for her to be a sexual person and get away with it is that how far removed from reality you have to be for that to be acceptable to a mainstream audience in 1968 or 69 it was like the only way they wouldn't freak out if they saw a woman being like yeah let's let's do it and just being very casual about sex does that for that to be okay for a mainstream audience does it have to be so fantasy and removed from reality that you're in the you're in the great city with with the evil tyrant I think I might say something about how, like, how really shocking it was at that time. Right. It is a male fantasy that this sort of like futuristic space would exist where people can just orgasm, you know, for for like a hand, like it's a handshake, you know, um, literally there's a seed where, you know, the equivalent of a handshake is how you fuck, you know, what a fantasy for men that would be that kind of sexual freedom. But but to get away with it. Yes, I think you're right. I think that makes total sense. They had to make it the ultimate in fiction, science fiction. <laughs> and so, if she had a personality and if she had been sassy, like I think men might have been like, whoa, who is this bitch? You know? Well, we know that that didn't work for Tura Satana's character, you know, and, and right. uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill audiences rejected her because she was too strong and men didn't want 
They didn't want to be attracted sexually to a woman who had autonomy, who, which is so fucked up. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's so awful and so fucked up. Well, speaking of pushing the limits of decency and what people uh, consider to be right and proper, one thing that I want to ask you both about since you're here together and the history of you doing Barbarella together, was there not an incident across the pond where you almost got arrested, Peaches, while doing Barbarella? Well, Well, investigated. Yeah, not not so much arrested. It was more like the show was going to be shut down. Well, they did. So the way they put it, was was I charged or I was accused? I guess I wasn't charged, but the way they put it was we got into Belfast uh, in Northern Ireland and I had done um, like a radio interview. I think just, it was just me. I don't think anyone else was there, right? Lady Bear, it was just me. And I think Bren took me to this radio interview for the BBC in Manchester. But that radio interview was broadcast all over the UK. And of course, we were going to be in Northern Ireland. And on the radio interview, this woman kept asking me about why I was named Peaches Christ. And she was grilling me and I was jet lagged. It was a, it had been a long day. And it was like, well, don't you think that could be offensive? Don't you think that could be offensive? I mean, you're going to Northern Ireland. Like Peaches Christ is going to Belfast. Like you, you don't see a problem with that, you know, like really, you know, going after me. And I was like, well, look, I was raised Catholic. It's not like I have just, you know, just mocked this name. You know, this is a name that I grew up with, you know, and all I'm doing is entertaining people. That's all I'm doing is I've taken a name and I've created entertainment. I am not molesting children. I'm not, you know, creating an organization that, you know, is is hypocritical and violent and causing wars and, you know, uh, in, enslaving women. And That's the church's job, yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so I went- They were mad you were moving in on their territory. So I, I went on this little tirade. And that, Michael, is the real reason because it wasn't about the Barbarella show. They hadn't even seen the Barbarella show. It was that I had mouthed off on the BBC. And when so when we flew into Belfast, I forget how it worked. They pretty much told us right away that, like, the show may not happen. <laughs> the Catholic Church sent, like, an investigator. It was a government official. But I, as you know, that they don't quite have the separation of church and state that we do. Yeah. So so it was um, it was a government official who came and had to in order for the show to go on, they had to monitor it. And, and actually a report was filed about it. And I believe Bryn, our producer, um, was able to get the report later because of their Freedom of Information Act. And of course, it has things like reference to poppers several references to dildos, more simulated fucking or sex, you know, they wouldn't say fucking. And one of the reasons I brought this up is because you've, you've talked a little bit about being the uh, being charged for blasphemy before, but I've never actually ha- had the opportunity to have Lady Bear in the room when you talked about it because you were there. So what was your take while this is all going on? I remember there was some tension about it because when we got there, we got notified that like, oh, this person is coming to the show and we're like, we're in a different country in a different culture and we're like uh we just did not know how big a deal was this really going to be and i don't know it turned out to be like kind of a nothing burger like i remember the person came and they were actually really nice and they were just like yeah we have to be here like this is my job just doing yeah, my job almost apologetic like embarrassed to have to be there the really ironic thing is like you know the whole point is misguided because they totally missed the point the real 
pornography was going on in the bathroom where Rick Ray yes. was getting it on. Rick Ray fully <laughs> had sex in the accessible bathroom yes. with some random Belfast person. So for those of you who don't know, Rick Ray was our um, our stage manager and, you know, basically in charge of everything behind the scenes on this tour and decided yeah, to fuck some bear. Totally in charge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if you're if you're going to air people's dirty laundry, then I have to tell you this, Michael. This as, is just a commentary on the hypocritical nature of that, that religion-based culture. That's ask, all I'm saying. Ask Lady Bear about why we got stopped trying to, like, leave. I don't remember if it was leave Belfast or where it was. Okay, because, that was a prop. I was a, that was a prop <laughs> no, for the show. That Rick had thrown away because he knew they wouldn't make it through airport security. And somehow how they made their way from the trash can into Lady Bear's butt That is bags. a lie. That I'm, is like, what... I'm calling the Catholic Church and reporting <laughs> Rick, you for lying Me? Right Rick Ray's the one who said he threw them away. So anyways, somehow Lady Bear's, all our poppers, which were actually real bottles of poppers, ended up in Lady Bear's carry-on. Which There was one. Sp- oh my God, you are <laughs> a liar. <laughs> but it was funny because like, literally, you know, you're at the airport, you're in the international section and they make you open your suitcase while everyone else is walking by. Yeah. They're just like, what are these? Yeah, we're like, fuck, Lady Bear. This is an expose. I'm going to get my Peabody Award for this episode. <laughs> oh my God. We haven't talked that much about the show. Barbarella is an insane movie yes. with with a, a very sort of either complicated plot or hard to um hard to decipher type plot, right? And so it was a lot of fun making a stage show where Lady Bear basically is Bear Barella. And so th- in the stage show, if you're a Barbarella fan, we basically send up almost all the iconic scenes in the film. In this way, where Lady Bear is this queer bear, but like a lady bear, um, who's saving the queer universe from the great tired, who's played by me. I'm the evil queen in the show. And um, of all my shows, this is one of my all-time favorites because it is unapologetically queer. It's silly. It's fabulous. It's fun. And the movie just lends itself in many ways to the sort of the freedom to be outrageous and insane. Peaches, you mentioned the kind of scene to scene, and it's true. Barbarella goes through these sort of bizarre setups with new outfits. It's a virtually plotless film until like the third act where there is like some sort of tyrannical overthrow that needs to happen. She goes from killer dolls to ice planet stuff to like getting naked, but they're all sumptuous beautiful set pieces. Uh, Lady Bear, do you have a favorite sequence in this movie? Well, there's obviously the part where she bangs that hot bear guy. (laughs) Who Rick Ray played on the road. So Rick Ray wasn't just the stage manager. (gasps) He was was method acting. We have to take it back. He wasn't, he was doing his job in that, that accessible bathroom in Belfast. All right. So anyway, Lady Bear, your favorite scene. (laughs) (laughs) She said it when she got to fuck Rick Ray on stage. You have to talk about the orgasmatron. That is peak 60s iconic moment where she blows up like, I mean, obviously Barbarella is some kind of symbol for sexual liberation for women in the 60s. Yeah. And she's literally blowing, the doctor is trying to like kill her with sexuality and she defeats him with her libido. And then afterwards, she's just like, oh, that was nice. Like, you know, sweet and innocent. So that is this kind of peak Barbarella, peak 60s. Uh, iconic moment for me. Yeah. What What's your favorite scene, Michael? 
I love the killer dolls. I mean, of course I do. Oh, yeah. It's like, cause I love the creepy shit. And I thought that was just really great. And they're actually legitimately kind of frightening. You yeah. don't expect it out of a movie like this. No, they're scary. They have those little teeth. And then also those two little Bjork girls that like kind of lead that whole sequence. Like they're creepy. So it's a bunch of things that happen before they happen, right? Like this is before The Shining. So you got the two little twin girls. It's before a movie like Dolls. It's before Trilogy of Terror. It's before Chucky, right? So, like, really, in many ways, Barbarella did sort of give us these vignettes that and people obviously took inspiration from over time. I sort of wanted to talk a little bit more about the ironic part of playing Jane Fonda in Barbarella and then us saying that she's kind of a blank slate because we all, I think we all agree that Jane Fonda as an icon is maybe one of the most brilliant, powerful women that we've ever had the pleasure of, you know, celebrating as as queer people. Absolutely. And I got to play her uh, multiple times, her version of... Is this 9 to 5? In 9 to 5, yes. Yeah. So I did my own parody show of 9 to 5. And then uh, I also was in Ryan Landry's parody show of 9 to 5 in Provincetown. And I played the Jane Fonda character both times. And I'll say this, much like studying Barbarella as Lady Bear did, because of course I had to study it as well to write the script. And, you know, and and I would agree with what Lady Bear said that you're not totally sure about where she's coming from, which might be why she's frustrated by Barbarella, which we could talk about. Jane Fonda rarely would talk about it for years and years. Nine to Five is a movie where we already knew she had the dramatic chops, right? We'd seen her in enough dramatic roles to know that she was a good dramatic actor. But nine to five is really where you go, oh, wow. She is a comedian as well. Like she gets comedy. So then you go back and you watch something like Barbarella and you're like, huh, this is a smart person, you know, who's in a in a very bizarre movie and making strange choices. You watch something like nine to five where she's just, you know, such a brilliant comedy performer. I don't know. I think based on interviews I've read, Part of her frustration with Barbarella was actually personal because she was being directed by someone she was in a relationship, Roger Badim. Um, I actually think that she didn't like the direction. You know, that's my guess. I don't think she liked the way she was directed to be in that movie. Yeah, I could easily see a male director in that era being like, no, you have to be an idiot. But he might have been safeguarding the film. He might have been like, if you're too sassy or intelligent, it'll be a turnoff. Mm. I would be curious. We probably never know the answer. I would be curious to hear about her thoughts on the character development. Well, I mean, let's be honest, too. Even though we love this movie because of all its bizarre pageantry, imagine it on the page. Like, if someone handed you the script for this before... Someone did. It was Peaches. Well, but like, you're right. (laughs) You're right. But Lady Bear, at least you had the movie to go look at. Like, you know, prior to that, like Barbarella, you know, for Jane Fonda, there's no point of reference. So she's sitting here reading, I'm doing what? And there's an angel with what? Like the fact that she actually agreed to do this after coming, as you said, from a Hollywood family, the daughter of Henry Fonda, having been in these prestige movies that she agreed to make this at all is sort of outrageous. It was based on a French comic. So not that she would have used that necessarily as a source, but it does make sense. If you think about the 60s, it was French, right? They definitely have always had a kind of overt sexuality to be appreciated, you know? And then it was shot in 
I think Rome or in Italy, you know, so it's a very international film. It was made in the era of free love, you know, the sexual revolution. It's really interesting, a lot of it. But I think the reason, just reading between the lines, I think the reason she did not want to talk about it for years, I mean, years and years and years, is because she was kind of ashamed of it. She wasn't proud of it. You know, it wasn't necessarily well-received. She is a feminist icon. It's not what you would call a feminist film, you know, but it has been embraced. And I think she's embracing it a little bit more because it has been embraced as a camp masterpiece by the queers, you know, by the midnight movie audience, by the drag queens. Um, And I think maybe that's why more recently she's probably been more comfortable discussing it. But yeah, I don't think she liked it for a long time. So we talked about the uh, eclectic outfits and scenarios that Barbarella is in. But another thing that makes this movie so fun is there's a lot of bizarre characters. Uh, So outside of Barbarella herself, Lady Bear, do you have a favorite side character in the movie that you really enjoy? Well, you can't call her a side character, but the great tired is pretty amazing. Like (laughs) so over the top. Perfect casting for PC. Thank you, my pretty, pretty. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Um. <laughs> oh, she's fabulous and so much fun to play her. But yeah, you're right. She's she's probably the next best character. Oh, no, they're both totally fierce. Another, I don't honestly, I mean, the hot bear guy, I, I'm, the other characters are kind of a blur, really. Well, there's the angel, of course. I always thought he was kind of dumb. I thought he was kind of irritating. But he's a- we even did that line in the show the one we're like an angel doesn't fall in love an angel is love and then you <laughs> add a little line in the show where you're like what the fuck does that even mean pygar <laughs> <laughs> like it was so dumb i had the same reaction the show is so old that i actually said something that i would not be able to get away with saying anymore but we won't go into that I w- i'd be canceled oh god i don't remember but now i want to know i'll tell you after the show okay. live and learn we evolved but i i actually really like duran duran which is where Worth mentioning, that's, of course, where the famous band got its name from, you know, in the 80s. You know, its inspiration on pop culture is seen all over the place. Music, music videos, obviously pop, I mean, maybe one of the greatest pop bands of all time, you know. And its cinematic influence, I think you see it over and over again. Even something as simple as the Killer Dolls, you know, that whole sequence. One thing I I did want to... um, bring up before we start wrapping things up is it would be really hard for me to mount Barbarella because Lady Bear in general was a larger than life big girl queen. And so the part of the juxtaposition of having her play Barbarella was that she was this big bear lady. And now Lady Bear, I don't know if she qualifies as a bear anymore because she's just shrinking. No, I'm still quite large. You're shrinking. But the reason she's shrinking is because of all of this athleticism. Lady Bear, tell us about this incredible ALC ride you're going to go on. And and, and please, if if listeners can support your cause, let's let's plug it. Excellent segue, Peaches. Just bravo. (laughs) Wonderful. You really just, you connected the dots really well. Thank you, PC. I can't believe you remembered. I wonder what prompted you. The audience at home can't see that she's literally sitting here in um, an entire biker's outfit. Yeah. In the spirit of Barbarella, that's why I was like, I'm going to show up for this interview (laughs) that nobody can see in a spandex outfit. Yeah. Now, Lady Bear, correct me if I'm wrong, but is is the proper terminology a bike kit or does that include the whole? Okay. No, there's a bike kit. The little outfits that we wear are bike Include kits. the whole, the whole, the whole I meant for like, what? I didn't know if the, like what I meant the whole with a W, get your mind out. Oh. Uh, 
I thought like maybe it included having the bike around too, because Kit, you know. Ah, okay. Oh no. But no, no, no. just the outfit's a kit, the bike kit. So it's 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 cyclist drag. Yes, it it is. It absolutely is. Um, But anyway, thank you, PC and Waffles, for setting that up. Yeah, I am writing the AIDS life cycle this year, which is what raises money for the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and the Los Angeles LGBT Center. We raise millions of dollars every year riding our bikes from San Francisco to LA. And uh, it helps gay and LGBT people get health care that they otherwise would not be able to get STI treatments and, you know, for, for all the ones that get around. Not like me. Nothing right. like me. So, yeah, I'm doing that. And um, I'm just putting the word out. Please support my ride. I've already raised about thirty eight hundred dollars and I want to get to five thousand and I've got three weeks left. So please, if you can, and I will yeah. send you the link if you want to put it on the show notes. Yes, please. We'll include that uh, when we promote the show for sure. And um, I've heard it's like a life-changing experience. Like people who do this ALC ride just absolutely love it. So um, yeah, yeah. it's it's great. I'm having a great time and I'm looking forward to it. Is this your first year doing it? Yes. And and the training is considerable, right? Yeah. I used to cycle when I lived in Massachusetts and then I didn't for a long time. And then I started again during the pandemic and I'm like, this is awesome. Why did I ever stop doing this? And I just realized it was basically the only thing you could do for a year. So yeah, I, I did that. I got into it and I'm uh, having it's awesome. I love that. Well, from talking about playing a space heroine for Peaches to the heroic endeavor of, of doing this ride to raise money for queer causes. Thank you. Thank you, Lady Bear, for taking time to talk to us today. You're welcome, Waffles. What about me? Am I welcome? Thanks, PC. <laughs> Thanks. No, thank you, Joshua. Thank you, PC. It's always a pleasure to see you. And I'm and I'm honored to be on your podcast. Oh. I promise to start listening to it. <laughs> I mean it. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay, that was Lady Bear, who honestly is one of my closest drag sisters, um, truly a member of my chosen family and the star of Bear Barella. You know, she has worn many of the, the uh, well, Jane Fonda costumes that were made, especially for Lady Bear and embodied Barbarella as Bear Barella so many times and I just love Lady Bear and I'm glad that she was able to come on the show. Yeah, I love Lady Bear as well. Obviously, uh, I've kept up with her over the years uh, when she would come down and do Cub Scout here in LA. I would go see her uh, and I'm glad that we got to finally get her on the show and I'm glad that together we got to unpack a little bit more about your blasphemy situation in Ireland. That was wild. It's one of those stories that when it was happening, of course, it was kind of stressful because we didn't know if the show was going to happen, but But um, since it happened, of course, it's just one of those great stories that you get to share with people like I have great pride, you know, uh, around it. It's like, wow, my stupid show about poppers and dildos and lady bear fucking bears and things was upsetting enough that we were almost thrown out of Northern Ireland. It's one of those things where I think that other artists would maybe be mortified. But if you live in the world of a horror or cult, you actually kind of... uh, realize what a gift it is when something like that happens to know that your show caused the people in charge to have their feathers ruffled to, you know, make a movie that causes someone to throw up or like, you know, banned in this place. So you can slap that sticker on on the poster. (laughs) That to me is a gift. 
it really wasn't about the show. It was because I would I had mouthed off in an interview. Did I did I talk about that? You did. But yeah, what's okay. interesting about it is I think that, well, because it's you and your name, and you've been doing this since the 90s, and because you and I have known each other for quite a long time as well, I sometimes sort of forget how much of a button push even the last name Christ or our show being called Midnight Mass can be. Remember when even we were promoting the show before it came out and uh, some of our producers had had done a wider release of the PR stuff. I was starting to see some ardent Catholics being very frustrated that this is what our show was called. And I'm like, girl, get it together. It's been Midnight Mass since the 90s. And then I'm like, oh, right. It's just a reminder that some people are still offended. I get excited every time someone's offended because you know, it was something that bothered people in the early days. And I always liked it. And I remember once we were sent a letter, Midnight Mass, Landmark Theaters was sent a letter saying that the the Northern California League of Catholic Voters, whatever that is, was going to boycott and stage a protest. And I was like, bring it on. I was so excited that they were going to like, you know, have people protesting outside the theater or whatever. That never happened. And I think that the reason, I mean, it was midnight. Who the, who the fuck's going to come out at midnight and, you know, protest? But when All About Evil went to Manchester and there was this great budget for them to be able to, to put on a, a big premiere, I remember Bryn, the producer, saying to me, is there anything that you wish you could have had for the American premiere that you didn't have, that you didn't get? And and is there some way I could make that happen? I said, I want protesters. And he was like, what? And I said, yes, I want librarians protesting the movie because of the, you know, the offensive portrayal of librarians. And sure enough, guess what they did? They had librarian protesters at All About Evil. And that was thrilling for me. I know. I actually mentioned that incident in passing in the booklet for the new Blu-ray release of All About Evil. I said, you know, so many things happened on your tour with the movie that we couldn't include at all, including the fact that in Manchester, librarians protested. I left it vague enough for people to fill in with their imaginations. But there is something about protesters outside of a movie that I think for folks like you and I, it's exciting. just like, it's exciting. It's that band sticker. Well, and I told this story a couple months ago on the Patreon, and I think enough time has passed that like now I can share it publicly. But I, I shared with Peaches that in the early thousands, when I was at Kent State University, I was part of a film society that programmed movies on campus. And I co-programmed uh, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter on <laughs> Easter weekend. And that upset people. And we got protesters who couldn't believe that we presented a movie called Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, let alone on Easter weekend. And I thought to myself, this is so cool. Like at the time, it was like one of the biggest achievements of my weird little film career. Why do we want to upset people so much? I don't know. But I do. I still do. I I love it. (laughs) I do enjoy it. Yeah, I'm sure Barbarella has upset many a prude over the years. And and that's wonderful. But as we know, Barbarella has gone on to inspire so many great things in pop culture that we love. Beyond the artistic achievement that is Barbarella, you know, there is the band Duran Duran. Well, I think that that's the answer, though. I think that when the things that push buttons come from a place of earnest challenging of the norm, whether it be queerness, whether it be a approach your your religious standard from a different viewpoint, and that's what kind of causes the ire, we like pushing those buttons because we know they're buttons that require being pushed. And Barbarella, similarly, is a movie about identity, about sexuality, about free love that pushed buttons of a prudish 
norm that we have over time embraced. That's the important takeaway. Like we don't necessarily want to be offensive for sake of being offensive, but when you're pissing off people in power or people who are using their power to put other people down and the art is offending them, whether it's through your own movie or programming someone else's movie, then let them be fucking mad. That's how I feel about it. Absolutely. And speaking of making people mad, I love the debates that are happening over at our Patreon because I dared to say that one horror movie is better than another. So if you want to get um, all up in my face and engage with Michael and I and, and even be pissed off at things that we say, or, or maybe you'll say something that will piss me off. Well, it's all, it's nothing but love. You know, the, this is all, this is all family arguing about cult movies, horror movies, um, and the like over there. And, and we've got some new video content going up and we've been putting out mini, mini masses where Michael and I wax eloquent very for very brief, usually brief moments of time. And we also have a new Zoom party coming up. Recently, we asked our uh, listeners to vote on a topic and they weighed in and we're about to talk to them. So they may yell at us in person for all we know. <laughs> in addition to the Patreon, another way that you could support the podcast, if you so desire, is to um, visit peacheschrist.com and pick, pick up a Midnight Mass mug. We have coffee mugs now. We have posters and T-shirts and all sorts of stuff. So um, we really appreciate it. We always appreciate your support. And if you are the kind of person who might someday find themselves hooked up to an orgasmatron that you are so horny for that you end up blowing up and destroying, well, <laughs> then you too might be one of the children of the popcorn now. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight Mass is created and co-hosted by Peaches Christ and Michael Verratti. The series is produced by Joshua Grinnell, Michael Verratti, and Heather Dunham. The Midnight Mass score and theme music was composed by Andrew J. Sepperly. Midnight Mass is a Peaches Christ production. <laughs> <laughs>